Welcome back to I'd Love To, But I'm So Tired, a space dedicated to conversations on status quo fatigue. Today's guest is one of the most incredible people I know, Valia. She describes herself as spiritual truth seeker, scuba diving enthusiast, pug lover. But I describe her as my spiritual sister, empath soulmate, and pug lover. We met in a soulless American law firm in January 2011, and we clicked over love for gelato and really honest conversations. We've discussed everything from shame to misogyny to trying to change our families. What never ceases to amaze me about Valia is how much she's determined to seek happiness and continue working on herself. Though, of course, this is also indeed very tiring. I'm so grateful that she's talking to me today. Welcome, Valia. Thank you for having me, Saba, and thank you for the intro. <laughs> no, I'm so happy that you're here. I was going to start by asking what working on yourself means to you. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I actually like the expression working on myself because it feels as though I'm something incomplete and like a something difficult that needs work. And I do not like the word the word work. But it started because I was feeling that something was missing. So I did feel incomplete. I think it started back around, I want to say 2009. And working on myself is basically dismantling everything that society, my family, relationships, you know, the your very close circle, then your wider circle has told you who you are. And it doesn't always feel right. So working on myself is actually trying to get rid of all the the dirt and showing who I really am. I guess that's the work. It's like gardening. (laughs) (laughs) I like that expression. And I think that's really great. And one of the things that you've said to me before is actually that you're doing all of this work, but other people aren't. Mm. That's a really good way that you've explained working on yourself. And I completely understand about wanting to dismantle a lot of things. And it's one of those things that once you start doing, it's very hard to stop doing. And you notice it in a lot of people that maybe they're not doing that. Can you give me maybe an example of situations like that where you've been come across people and you've realized that actually maybe they've not looked into themselves and maybe you've really not been able to connect with them? So the most recent example is a very... I guess a very basic one. It happened the other day at work. So she's not exactly my manager, but she's the main lawyer on the floor. I feel that she has a lot of unresolved issues. (laughs) She always craves attention and reassurance from everyone. And she behaves as though she's the queen of everything. And she sometimes makes some remarks completely unfounded, which can be quite rude. So she gave me a task to do, which was very simple, but she, you know, some older people are very technologically challenged. (laughs) And then she was like, oh, Valia, why is it taking you so long? Although she had tried to do it on her own um, and she was trying to put all her thoughts into that slide. It was a disaster. The big boss was unhappy. So she gave it to me and I had to redo the whole thing. It had different shapes, different colors. It just made zero sense. And then she was like, oh, why is it taking you so long? And then she was super happy. The big boss was super happy with everything I had done. And I told her, you know, sometimes you make some remarks that are unfounded. And in the past, 
pre-pandemic, she kept saying to everyone, oh, Valia is not very good at taking notes. She's not very good at taking notes. She had never seen me take notes. And I kept telling her, but I am good at taking notes. She's like, no, 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 you're not good. So I stopped resisting because I'm thinking, if that's what you want to be like, it's fine with me. And then someone asked me to take notes and everyone was just super, super shocked. <laughs> and then she she kept saying, oh, you're amazing. You're amazing. So I brought that up and she's, she said, oh, when did I do that? Blah, blah, blah. And then the following day, she kept saying, oh, you know what? That was really rude of you to tell that. And you don't love me. I can't always think you're restricting me and I can't be myself. And I kept looking her like you're looking at me. <laughs> and then as a joke, she said, oh, you're just emotional. I responded, oh, that's gaslighting 101. She said, oh, it was a joke. It was a joke. So th that's a very simple, basic interaction that you have in your working environment. <laughs> yeah. And I think most people would actually not be able to recognize that. And you did so well to confront her. She thinks she's right. And she, she treats everyone as though they're her servants. And it's ridiculous. And I'm thinking I either start fighting her and then just create a hostile environment or I take a step back. So how do you handle these people? <laughs> so that's a very simple. And I just mentioned this because it was the most recent. In, and in a sense, because it's a working environment, she doesn't have the same impact on me that let's say a, a partner would have or a parent would have. I just want to say about bringing things up. Normally it falls on the person who has done the work on themselves or who is aware of these things to bring it up to people who are not aware. That can be really exhausting and really tiring and constant as well. And I don't know about you, but I feel in a day and age where we have a lot of access to information, where we have a lot of access to open conversations, I have less patience for people who are not willing to make that extra step. Can we talk a little bit about that, about how we feel about people who don't necessarily self-educate and the problems that it causes for us who are trying to do better? Um, shall I use my words or just use sounds like, ah! Yeah, the sounds already are great. <laughs> I mean, the more you educate yourself I and mean, the more I'm going to use that word again, work you do because you know how tiring it is and it's the mental load. It's the, it takes a lot of effort because it's not just, you know, reading or listening to podcasts or listening to, you know, watching videos, doing therapy, doing all that. It's the emotional also tiredness that comes along with it because the more you dig the more things come to the surface at the same time because it's it's easily available to everyone if you don't want to go to therapy for because you don't have the money whatever you can watch videos you can watch you can read books you can read articles online so the excuse of oh you know I don't have the money to me, it's just an excuse. Of course, it will take a lot longer if you don't have someone to guide you through all, through all of this. I think people like that are, are lazy because once you start realizing things, you know, about human psyche, about relationships, about society, politics, everything, it's like your eyes are open and then you can't go back to sleep. I always keep saying it's like the Matrix if you've ever watched the movie. Like once you've realized what the reality is, you can't go back into the matrix. For years, I kept saying, put me back in the matrix. I was so happy back then. <laughs> I was so happy. I think they're they're lazy. I do respect that everyone has their own journey, but it's there. And if someone is more aware of things that are happening, it's very difficult to interact with people who are not aware because you will keep clashing. You feel 
as though you live in different realities, I have not found a way to bridge that. So far, I felt that I've been trying to build a bridge to explain everything, almost begging people to meet me halfway. Like, look, I've built the bridge. I've built everything. You just, just, you just have to take a step. And no one takes that step because a lot of times it involves pain. It's also like with babies. When you start learning how to walk, you're going to fall down. You're going to hurt. And people are not willing to do that. You're absolutely right about being awake or seeing something and then struggling to unsee it. Have you met resistance or friends who are not sure why you're even bothering doing all of this and why you're trying to convince them that it's good to be awake and to be spiritual and to try and work on themselves and, and change their biases or or heal past traumas? Oh, of course. All the time. I've had friends who have told me that, you know, you overanalyze things and you should stop doing that. And it's it's not like a hobby. It's like once you've seen something, it's you cannot push a button and delete it. You can't go back. Let's say you see the injustice or you you see the misogyny. Once you've seen the misogyny and you've become aware of how much it has affected your whole life, it's there. It's shocking. It's like a slap in the face. And I cannot unsee it anymore. I cannot forget how I grew up. I cannot ignore the society I'm in. And basically all the the brainwashing, everything that how you've approached relationships, how you approached your studies, how you approached work, every aspect of your life, how you dress, how you walk, how you talk or not talk because you're meant to be silent, you can't unsee it. And once you realize how this has affected your personality and your whole life and your desires and how can I stop that? And everyone who says, oh, you're exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. I remember I was in a group of girls. I thought they were my friends. So I, I was just expressing myself freely. And we're having this conversation about religion. And I said, you know what? Religion, I think, has influenced everyone and has oppressed sexuality and has oppressed women. And I wasn't specific to one religion, religion as a whole. I'm not saying you should not believe in God or the universe, but the organized idea of religion as a means of maybe oppression or control. And I had that woman, an Orthodox Christian country. It's quite homogenous. And you don't realize how much the church and religion actually affects every aspect of the life there until you actually leave that country or you go out of it because it's in schools, it's in public buildings, it's everywhere. And she would say, you know what? No, I don't, I don't believe that it has affected anything. And I don't think there's misogyny because it has never affected me. I'm thinking, but it's impossible. Breastfeeding. And she was thinking, oh, you should not reveal your breasts because it's um, provocative. How is this provocative? Don't you think that it would be the whole from religion? Everyone was free. We were doing our own thing because the body is the body. And you're saying it's it has not affected anything. Are we? I don't know. I was in such a state of shock. I disengaged. I started looking at my phone and left the others just continue the conversation because there was no point in me trying to tell her anything. She was refusing the idea or the notion that she had been affected in her whole life because, oh, I always speak my mind. Oh, I always do the things I want. 
And she was ignoring the fact that she grew up in a society where you are affected by everything. And in any case, even if you you had the support, let's say, from your family and they they brought you up with the strength to express yourself, can you not see that other people are being oppressed? Why are you not using your voice to help those other people and just ignore everything? Then say, oh, Valia is just, you know, exaggerating. And she was married. So the the two women in my group, they were both married. And let's say women A, her husband kept making jokes. You know, those old fashion jokes where the man always makes jokes about, oh, you know, my wife, she oppresses me or she Mm -hmm. hits me or... Mm -hmm. And I kept saying, you know what, these jokes are lame because can you not see that it's disrespectful to your relationship and at the end of the day to yourself? Because if you feel that you don't love your women, why why are you in that relationship? Why are you sending pictures of other women in a thong on the beach? You think that's funny? You think you lasting after, after other women is funny? Yeah, I'm completely there with you in the sense that I think for some people, they might be saying, oh, hang on, you know, you're being really sensitive or really prudish or whatever. But I think it's really important to just say that it depends on the relationship and the context of the relationship. And this is what we're saying here is that a lot of the times these comments are made without an understanding from both people. So going back just on the point of you dismantling all of these ideas and you talked a little bit about your friends who were in these relationships in the context of your own relationships and your maybe friends or family looking in Mm -hmm. on your relationships have there also been comments where they've said well why don't you just settle down you're being I don't know particular or too demanding of course for years now I've had my friends who are in relationships just Literally, I feel like I'm sat down, surrounded by couples, and everyone is just judging me. Why are you not settling on this? Why are you not settling on that? Honestly, now that I think about it, I think subconsciously that's one of the reasons every time I go into relationships, into a relationship, I put up with so many things because I've been judged so many times that I'm picky or particular. Sorry, I just had a revelation. (laughs) And for example, I remember one specific incident back in 2016, I had gone back home on a sabbatical and I'm surrounded by my high school friends and they're both in long-term relationships and both the girls and their guys are judging me. (laughs) Why do you want this? Why do you want that? And I, I brought up as an example Uh, spirituality or religion I said look I no longer follow the orthodox Christian religion so if I with someone who's a Christian orthodox there will be clashes I'm not against they they can do whatever they want but let's say we have a kid how are we going to raise the kid by the other person saying oh don't listen to your mom she's crazy or she's this or I will be having problems with their strictness and their beliefs. So it's going to cause a problem. But they kept resisting me because one of them, she was an agnostic before she met her very religious partner. And suddenly she switched. She completely switched. And she she was refusing to see 
my points. So that was one incident. Another incident are, oh God, <laughs> yes, that I'm I'm overanalyzing things and that you know relationships should be simple. And whenever I say, you know what, that person has zero empathy. Like they don't get me. They don't understand me. Oh, you know how men are like. And I'm referring to men just because I'm heterosexual. You know how men are like. There's this guy I really, really like him, but he dislikes children. And I'm not saying that I 100% want a kid, but he dislikes children. (laughs) I can't imagine him being with my group of friends because they had kids. And what if in the future I want a kid? If someone has stated I dislike children, it will be such a struggle to make them change their mind. But their advice was, you know what? Just stay with him. He will change his mind. Like in five years, you know, my husband was like that. He didn't want kids, but now we have a kid. Or my husband didn't want to get married at first, but then I persuaded him slowly, slowly. And it was all about playing games, just being patient. And I'm thinking, why waste my time? They just didn't get it. So I'm the weird one. It's true that often in relationships, you change each other and you compromise, but you shouldn't be going into the relationship like that. And also, I feel if that is a priority for someone, then you should be able to respect the fact that, no, my priority is to be with someone who I'm not having to change their mind. Or or maybe I want something else from my relationship that doesn't involve all of these games. And it's really hard for people around us sometimes to understand that we've reached that conclusion and we're happy with it. Because they've been conditioned. And exactly like you said about the lady before who couldn't even see that she had been conditioned. It's you're just in that mindset for so much until, like you said, you get taken out of it. Can we talk a little bit about the society you grew up in and where you grew up? (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in Athens, Greece. Of course, I'm not your stereotypical Greek person because my, my dad was in the Air Force. So we moved around a lot. And I also when I was still a kid, like six years old or 11 years old, I lived in other European countries. So I had those influences. I was born in the 80s and you grow up and we're, I don't want to say all white, but we were all white or Christian Orthodox. It's a very homogenous society or was, I'm, I'm talking about those times. I can't speak of how it is now. You didn't travel much abroad because of the the weather and the Greek islands. Everyone just stays within the country and it's very it's not Scandinavian so it's much more a macho society how my dad raised me was that you know I'm supposed to get married when I'm young have kids do not have sex I was not allowed to have any boyfriends until I finished school and then his advice was you can have many male friends but not many boyfriends Because men speak, they talk, and they will be like, yes, I've slept with her, and I've slept with her, and I've slept with her, and no one will want to marry you. Because marriage was the end goal. Honestly, this whole thing that marriage is the end goal is that men decide, and I have to to adjust. Or when we were, you know, cleaning the house, he always used to tell me, oh, if you don't know how to clean the house, how are you going to get married? If you don't know how to cook, how are you going to get married? And my response was always, don't worry, I'll have a male cleaning person to do my house. (laughs) Now I understand that as an adult, regardless of gender, sex, whatever, you have to be able to clean your house. You have to be able to cook. You have to be able to do everything because 
you need to live, you need to survive. It has nothing to do with whether I'm a woman, whether I'm a man, or whether I identify as whatever. And his his main advice now that I remembered was never show a man how clever you are because they will not want you. So that's great advice. <laughs> of course, he was a man. He was born in the 50s. He was in the, the military. His His parents were uneducated. And to be fair, he... For a military man, he was very open-minded. In the house, we always did all the chores were equally divided. He could clean, do his own things. And he was very kind, not perfect, based on mine, but compared to other military dads that I've seen or dads in general, he, he was good. But as an advice, no, don't sleep around. Don't do this. Don't do that. There was so much shame around sexuality and my body for no reason. I remember the first time I had my first sexual relationship, I I nearly cried afterwards because I felt so dirty that this is it. I'm no longer this pure, innocent person. This really Fs you up. (laughs) Talking about the shame and the shame that people carry. And maybe some people would be like, oh, you're actually raised in effectively Western Europe. So you probably didn't really meet with this and oh okay maybe that was when you were growing up but things are different now so why can't you just get over it why can't you just move on but shame is really hard to tackle mm. really hard to heal really hard to overcome when you have all these other things around you as well all this talk all this advice you're quite a vulnerable child you're listening to your parents because you have to you're looking around you and then you start questioning yourself if maybe you're the not normal one but shame, it wasn't just the way I was brought up because it's its reinforced within my relationships. So, so many boyfriends have shamed me in one form or another because we're talking about sex. I'm just going to focus on that. If you try to express a desire, they feel almost as though their ego is being attacked. And I'm saying very basic, simple stuff. I'm not saying about bringing other people in basic stuff. Like, you know what? I think that there should be an equality in orgasms. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's just you having fun. I think I should be having fun as well. <laughs> and the absurdities I've heard. One guy was having, thankfully he wasn't a sexual partner. We're just, you know, having a discussion. So he expressed the opinion that women who start masturbating when they're young they overstimulate their clitoris so then they cannot reach orgasm by penetration. I was thinking, what? <laughs> but men believe that. He was, he was Greek, born and raised in Greece. Uh, and he also said he was, he was trying to persuade me to get into a, some sort of sexual relationship with him. But he was also saying that, oh, you know what? You live in London and there are so many different races there. And you've probably slept with all those races. So who knows what STIs you may have. Sexist and racist, everything. <laughs> and he, he knew nothing about me. He was just projecting. Like I had not disclosed anything about my sexual past. Yet so many instances, like shaming me about, oh, you've had other sexual partners. And you've done that in the past. So I'm not special. I'm thinking what (laughs) that's just like insanely crazy to have to carry 
and to have to deal with all the time and fight against as well. And one of the things I think we have spoken about this before is the point on agency and like agency of your body. And I look around at people and I think, wouldn't it be nice to have agency in all sorts of life? Because I think what some people might not realize is when agency is taken away in one aspect, for example, in this one on your body and your desires and who you might want to be with, actually, you cannot compartmentalize that. All of a sudden, you might have agency on what is expected of me as a person to do? What is expected of me in the partner I take? What is expected of me in the job that I do, in the career that I choose? How do I make decisions? Can I just buy myself a ticket and go traveling on my own? Can I just save some money and, and do something that I want? There's always voices around you mm. because you can't compartmentalize your decision-making. It, it overwhelms everything. That's That's very well put. It's just one area and how it just sort of goes into everything in your life because it's as though you're trained to think in a specific way and that just expands so you're just thinking oh, you, you've said it perfectly there's nothing for me to add <laughs> <laughs> it's just the strangest thing isn't it you know I pierced my ears last year and I thought to myself before I did it I was like oh I really would like to pierce my ears and for some reason I was like well well then I should like yeah. why should I <laughs> and that was when I really realized I don't even know what it was it wasn't anyone telling me yes or no but it was the fact that I felt like there was an extra layer of permission that I had to get from somewhere before I made that decision for myself and that's when I realized I can break this barrier down and I can move forward with this because you mentioned piercing my ears I I also just pierced my ears so instead of just two piercings I now have six and I showed it to some of the fr my friends, dance friends, and one of them, her comment was, oh, are you just going through puberty again? I was thinking, what? No, I just, I never wanted to do it earlier. I just thought I want to do it now. Or in the past, I used to have colorful hair, so pink, blue, everything. And before I started doing all that, because I was you know, I studied law and I'm a lawyer. I work as a paralegal in the UK, but you have this idea of what a lawyer should look like, dressed in a specific way, have a specific hair color or hair length and everything. And I remember just never doing what I wanted because I kept thinking, oh, this is not right. I was judged. I went to this um, public building in, in, in Greece and I can't remember exactly what I was doing, but the secretary there had the audacity to tell me that I should dye my hair according to my age because I had blue hair. I, I didn't know what to say. Now I would know how to put her in, in her place. <laughs> but even when I was younger, like in my mid-20s, I think, that's when I pierced my nose. I really wanted to do it just because, you know, like you said, I just want to pierce my nose, but I felt so shocked afterwards. I thought, oh my God, I'm never going to get a job. Everyone's going to judge me, blah, blah, blah. But now, thankfully, coming back to me piercing my ears, I thought this has nothing to do with, it's something I want to do and I'm going to do it. I'm not going to ask anyone. And I felt so free. It's such a simple example. And I think people maybe don't always realize that. Going back to talk about your dad and his, sort of his upbringing, were him and your mom quite a good balancing act? Did you realize as you grow older that maybe they also had their own issues that were carried on to you? You and I have talked about generational trauma quite a lot and the impact that that has on us. 
there are so many layers of dismantling that <laughs> you know you're doing all the time and it would be good to understand a little bit on on that generation trauma and how you became aware of it the thing is that my my dad passed away in 2004 Sorry. so oh that's okay uh, I mean I'm still working on that I'm still angry at him but that's that's a different issue mm. <laughs> so I don't have recent examples of him so I was in my very early 20s when he passed away I wasn't adult enough in order to start asking the questions I'm asking my mom now so my mom has been my main focus of seeing how the generational trauma has been brought down to me which is a bit unfair <laughs> I think so because you asked their balance and how they were as a couple my mom was very free-spirited very ahead of her time when it came to you know sexuality women's rights and my dad was the more restricting one but I realized that my mom only after my dad passed away she realized that he had put her in a golden cage so she thought she was free but she wasn't really free he was seven years older than her and she didn't study what she wanted to study because he didn't approve of that so he was very focused on you know it's the old thing of you either become a doctor or a lawyer or a civil engineer and that's it so she didn't study in the end because it wasn't what you wanted to do she she was very artistic she draws beautifully but nor her dad would allow that because she would have to do nude so in his mind that includes orgies <laughs> bless him <laughs> So what they had in common is that they both had families. They would like to intervene. <laughs> yeah. But the generational trauma, you could see, like for, for example, abuse. I could see how my granddad was treating my grandma and how that affected one of my parents and how that trickled down to us. It's very shocking. Like you, don't, you do not want to accept that your parents were like that. You do not want to accept. I'm not saying necessarily physical abuse, there's emotional abuse, there are so many different layers, but you just don't do not want to accept that your parents did not love you and did not offer you the love you wanted. So it's just so much just seeing how your grandparents and their families all behaved and their interconnections and then seeing how that affected your parents and how that affects you. And it's so complicated, so nuanced. It's it's very hard to break because that's the reality you know. That's how we were brought up. And recently I was um, discussing this with my sister because if you're brought up in an environment where women just accept, you know, that the man is going to be more abusive or you just don't talk, you don't just do your own thing or you try to navigate things differently or in an environment where you always crave your parents attention and love but you never get it you start believing that oh this is love I keep trying and trying and they will ignore me but they love me so this is normal and you keep repeating that in your own relationships so you will find someone who they love you they you know they do things maybe for you that you know buy you presents, maybe cook, 
tidy up, but then never love you the way you want to be loved. But you think, oh, that's normal. That, that's what relationships are. And then you wake up and you're thinking, wow, this I'm not happy. I'm just miserable. And I'm just repeating the same thing. I wanted love from my parents, which I never got the way I wanted. And this is how I seek it out in the world, which was um, very sad. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's, and it's really upsetting, you know, for you to realize that. And then added to the fact you might be confiding in the friends who then tell you, well, you've got to settle. Yeah. And it drives you crazy because you're, you don't know, you start to doubt yourself. It's the constant doubting, doubting myself. Am I doing the right thing? Am I thinking the right thing? Am I exaggerating? Am I not exaggerating? Is there something wrong with me? Should I keep working on myself? Because everyone is doubting you. Everyone's saying, oh, you, you're exaggerating. You're doing this. Anything. How do we stop doubting ourselves? <laughs> How do we stop gaslighting ourselves? That's the question. <laughs> it's really difficult. You're in the minority mm. of those questions. When you're asking those questions in your group of friends, and then unless you talk to someone who's on that same level, and it's also really difficult not to doubt yourself if you're seeing those other friends in seemingly stable, happy relationships. And you start to think, maybe because I want a really, you know, you want a relationship or you want a companionship or you want someone in your life, you start to think to yourself, if they've managed and I haven't, then should I be doing something different? Because you are curious and you want to change things and you want to get to the answers, I think that's what creates the doubt but it comes back as well to the agency and it comes back again to being told what you should believe it comes back again to the society it comes back again to like what we see in the movies and what we read in the books it's just layer after layer after layer and then you just one day you think you know what i'm just too tired it's fine <laughs> <laughs> i just sit on my my sofa <laughs> with my tea and i'm done i'm done yeah. <laughs> Actually, one of the things I wanted to ask was, you've lived in a lot of places and you've traveled a lot. You and I met in London, you know, we, we also both have traveled and we like the fun things to do. When I was younger, I thought all I want to do is travel or have a glamorous life, you know, have lots of friends maybe, or I don't know, I had this very different idea to what I want now, which is similar to what you said. I want to have tea and I don't want to have deep conversations. <laughs> yeah. And I would keep wondering, why is that? Especially as life now favors people who want excess. Uh, why everyone wants excess and we don't want excess? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I think because the more you understand yourself and the more you, you go through life and you go through losses and, you know, trauma and everything, you reevaluate everything. So having that super fancy life, the one you see, you know, Dubai and the fancy cars and going clubbing and the expensive drinks, that does not, it's, it's fun, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't fill me with joy because it's not what my soul wants. <laughs> and for me, that, I guess, started changing, especially after I... I I lost my dad. A lot of the the friends I thought I had just disappeared. And there was no one there for me. And I think that's why I value more true friendship people. You know, if, if even if it's just one person, it doesn't have to be 10 people that are there for you. You can just be yourself and just relax 
And when I say relax, you can feel it in your body. Every little cell just melts because you feel safe. And for me, feeling safe is more important than having the Prada bag and the the Gucci bracelet or whatever. That that leaves me, honestly, I couldn't care less. I'm with you there as well. And following a little bit on from that, I think that there's a real risk of things not changing maybe I don't want to say quickly enough it's relative and I obviously come from a point of privilege and my own selfish and subjective perspective but I feel as though the change makers who want like that core change so you and me who we want to see systemic changes who we want to see changes in the way people approach maybe relationships or changes in the way people approach life and feel more connected we are a bit too tired to debate things, to fight and to keep up our energy. And at the same time, having to say the right things at the right time with the right tone so that people Mm. can pay attention to what you're trying to say. Mm. The number of times that I feel as though my message doesn't come across because I feel really emotive, but my emotions come because I feel as though I've been fighting all my life. They haven't seen that I've been resisting all my life, but I have been, and I've come to a stage where I'm so tired of trying to navigate a way to say things to make people agree or people listen I almost want to be unreasonable and say I don't care if I'm shouting or if I'm being completely illogical here I want you to meet me halfway yes and one of the things that happened recently I was talking to a group of friends and I was saying to them I think the world would look completely different if every single person had therapy (gasps) I just believe I know I know if everyone questioned they couldn't see it I don't know how they cannot see it for years like over a decade now (laughs) I've been saying just getting to know who you are your vulnerabilities your insecurities it, it just makes things easier because the minute you know you're insecure about something you own that insecurity and you won't let it affect you because you realize, oh, okay, now I'm being triggered because of this. And you just let it go. You don't necessarily have to overcome your insecurities or your fears, just becoming aware of them and knowing how to deal with them, just to how to handle them. It's enough. I'm not asking for anything else, just the bare minimum here. <laughs> I admire people, like I see them, online where they do all these videos and trying to educate people and they get into all these arguments and you you see all these nasty comments and I'm thinking where do you find the energy go just going online right now and doing anything of the sort just it's a no for me because I can't even do it in real life the minute I hear someone just going against everything I believe in I'm always very respectful and I will say my point of view but I will stop trying to change them because I I've been in situations where they really debating me and trying to make me look like this crazy person so now I'm just thinking you know what it's fine and then I stop the conversation I don't I just don't have the energy to persuade you don't want to be changed you don't want to hear my point of view you don't want anything You just want to show that you're better than me, which is fine. 
So how do we change the world if we're already tired? <laughs> Where's the new generation? <laughs> They're coming. <laughs> <laughs> they are coming slowly. Talking about this exhaustion that I that you feel from conversations, from friends, from having to either f- fight so that you can debate things with people or not fight so that you're not completely wiped out. This is always a struggle and it's always work for you. I know you really well and, and you know, we're friends. So obviously I have, you know, we've talked about insider information. I have some insider information, <laughs> but you still try to find happiness in your life. And one of the ways you've been doing it more recently is you've been going on some trips on your own because you don't want life to pass you by. But yes. within that, you've discovered another layer of issues and exhaustion <laughs> that maybe you didn't, did you think you were going to come across those or were they very new to you? I didn't know what to expect. So because you mentioned the the trips, uh, for me, a turning point was when I turned 35, because up until that point, I had always, you know, I was waiting for that person. I was waiting for the one so I could share experiences with them, you know, learn to, how to dance, specific dances, do to visit specific countries or wait for, for friends. And, you know, they they always had other things or they, for X, Y, Z reasons, they couldn't come with me or they didn't want to join what I want to do. So life was just, as you said, just passing me by. So I started going on minute trips on my own. It's very liberating. I like being on my own. One thing I haven't been able to, to do yet is go to a bar on my own. When you go for dinner on your own, you do get weird looks even even here in London like a couple of weeks ago I was waiting for a friend and they were late so I thought okay I'm gonna go have a drink on my own have some some nibbles until they arrive I went in I said oh can I have a table for one and there was a a look of pity in the the girl's eyes and when my friend joined me like an hour and a half later you could see that she was happier that oh you know she wasn't on her own when you're traveling on your own First of all, the first thing you have to learn is that you can actually do whatever you want. You don't have to think of anyone else. It takes training. I know it sounds weird, but because you're so used to thinking of other people and what would they want, suddenly just doing what you want and expressing yourself, it takes training. That's stage number one. So after you really enjoy doing all these things, then suddenly you're thinking, oh, I wish I had someone else to share this with then you start thinking okay why don't I have someone else is it me just being introverted is it me just being weird why can't I find my people and then you go again into the whole what's wrong with me blah 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 (laughs) but it's not just the uh, trips as I mentioned to you offline (laughs) I went to an Ed Sheeran concert so he had been on my bucket list and I've never been to a concert in my life on my own ever ever (laughs) and I didn't know other people who had done it so I was thinking oh my god and especially at work you know when they ask you what you're going to do I get these looks whenever I say oh I'm traveling on my own or I'm doing this on my own I get this look that oh you're they haven't used the word weird but it's in there (laughs) I feel as though they feel sorry for me maybe I'm projecting I don't know but maybe I'm not based on the context (laughs) and going to that concert I was in a very low point like psychologically when I booked the tickets and I was thinking oh should I do this 
because, you know, I'm very low psychologically. Maybe I won't be able to enjoy it anyway. I'm going to be on my own. Everyone's going to be looking at me. I was, you know, having all these fears, which were turned out to be irrational because it was so liberating. And then after I had this experience, I actually talked to other people and like, you've, you've told me that you've been to a concert on your own. I spoke to another friend and she said, yeah, like I, I go to concerts on my own all the time. And I was thinking, huh, there are people out there like me. So in a sense, overcoming that fear helped me find my people. That was nice. It's interesting you said that. I was talking to someone else, actually on a different episode about as I've grown older, I'm more attracted to and, and this is obviously I do believe in the law of attraction so I this is why I'm finding these people but maybe people you haven't seen even in a long time or didn't er- interact with that closely before when you see that they have the same fears insecurities thoughts awakening spiritual journey you do feel an affinity towards them and you do attract each other and That's it's so true. interesting you know you posted that and, you know, all of us were like, we've done it before. <laughs> but it's strange that it never came up in conversation either. It only took True. you to like post it for other people to react, which is, I don't know if that says something about people wanting to do it, but still feeling afraid to advertise it. I'm not sure. That's true. A lot of people do fear advertising things. And they also fear advertising their sadness and vulnerability because you get judged again. So Every time I see someone post something like from my Facebook friends, so I'm not talking Instagrams, looking at people I don't know, and they show vulnerability, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going through the, the same thing. And I really like that. And you connect and you, you know, start having a conversation, but then you, you see other people saying, oh, you're doing this for attention and you're an attention seeker and you're exaggerating. Or I had a guy once tell me, I had posted something, I can't remember, probably about the fires in Greece. And because he thinks I'm always exaggerating, although I rarely post things, I don't do anything. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of boring. Like I, I'm a hermit. <laughs> I go through everything on my own just because I don't want people thinking, oh, she's doing it for attention. You want to reach out and find people who are going through the same thing, but then at least I'm talking about me. I'm scared that I'm going to be judged again. And I admire people who do not give an F and they just reach out. I think posting things can actually help you find your people as long as you overcome the fear of posting. <laughs> yeah. And I guess as long as you're being authentic for why you're doing it, it doesn't, the reason doesn't matter, does it? Yeah. But as long as you're true to yourself. So I guess. Maybe it's how we define being open and authentic. There are layers to that. Being authentic and open doesn't, maybe doesn't necessarily mean that you just blurt out everything and just bare your soul to anyone and everyone because humans, we're so complex. So you're always going to filter what you hear, see based on your experiences. So not everyone's going to understand you. Even if you're being 100%, everything just going, (laughs) no filters, nothing, just express, express, express yourself. Because I've had this before, like what is communication and how detailed do I need to be when I'm expressing something? Because I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want to be offensive. But I think you need that dialogue. You need the other person 
to say, and it's also the other person's responsibility, the minute they feel that something's maybe offensive or they misunderstand something or they're not sure to challenge you, to, to ask you, okay, what do you mean by that? And why do you phrase it like that? Because there's only so much you can do as one person and one brain. If you want to express an opinion, you can't approach it from every angle at the same time, because then it's just going to be a lecture of maybe three hours and you're never going to have a conversation. <laughs> I've literally never thought of it like that. That is so true. The fact that even if you have an opinion, when you state your opinion, it's never going to encompass everything. It's always a dialogue. So you do need that interaction. But I, I do understand that, especially as women, because they do not pay attention to what we say. You have to think, I have to word it. I have to be calm when I say it, because they otherwise they'd be like, they're thinking, oh, you're over emotional, you're in your period. But I do think that we can change this. It takes so much work, but if we continue policing our words, and I'm not saying being disrespectful, I'm not saying that. Otherwise, men or other counterparts, they will never learn because we have trained them that this is who we are. You can say whatever you want and I will be silent and I will always be the nice person who's very understanding and very there. So totally with you there. So, Vali, this is quite a big question. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask, what does happiness mean to you? Ah, happiness. I, I wish I had a definition. <laughs> I know it's a feeling, so I can't convey it and I don't have the words to convey it. But for me, it's just an, a state of inner calmness. That's happiness. You feel calm and you feel as though you're at home like this is it if I die right now no regrets this is my definition of happiness <laughs> it's not necessarily that you're laughing or anything because you could be going through a tough period in your life but it's that internal light that says you know what I'm happy even though, you know, I don't have money or I don't have a whatever boyfriend, family, job. I know this is this is who I am and this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm whole. <laughs> so this is it. I love that definition. And like I said at the very start, I think it's amazing how you're always seeking that happiness despite everything we've talked about, despite all the challenges. Crawling my way <laughs> to happiness. <laughs> crawling your way and maybe you know giving people a few explorations here and there as they deserve yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for your time no thank you it's uh, i didn't even realize time had passed i could continue talking for hours <laughs> oh, we often do <laughs> yeah just thank you very much for being so open about everything and for your thoughts bye everyone